Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pods Up podcast. Each week, a different person will be taking you through some of the best podcasts around right now. My name is Xander Broadley and this episode is about Paradise. So Paradise was produced by Dan Maudsley and it investigates the murders of Chris Farmer and Peter Frampton. I had found out about Paradise through social media. I'm a really big fan of true crime and I had previously heard about the story of Peter and Chris. So when I had found out there was a podcast being made about it, I had listened to it straight away. Despite the fact that I'd already known about the story previously, it had me hooked straight away and I found it fascinating. And it's one of those podcasts that I have been back and listened to again on multiple occasions. At the beginning of the year, Ant McGinley had the chance to sit down and talk to Dan about Paradise, so I really, really hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so it is a very, very windy day slash evening in Manchester, and I'm just here at Media City about to meet Dan Maudsley, who was part, a big part, of the BBC Five Live podcast Paradise, which you may have come across. If you haven't, there may be a few spoilers in this, but uh, we'll see what we do and don't talk about with Dan when he gets here in a moment. <laughs> you looking a little leather baiting there? I'm Dan Maudsley. I um, work for BBC Five Live, but I am the creator of uh, the Paradise podcast on BBC Sounds. When you look at it on paper, the idea of Paradise as a project sounds like a dream in terms of the amount of cities countries um and things you got to do and i imagine it kind of took up six months of your life and probably as many pages in your passport yeah i I mean more it was in terms of when we first properly got going on it and when the final episode went out it was 12 months um and it wasn't 12 months of full-time work but it did i mean it was 12 uh, 12 months of uh passion project and then as it went as it got you know, towards the thicker end, it was full time, um, and it was. Kind of, I was really grateful, in a way, to to John O'Wall, you know, controller of Five Live, who kind of, as he was then, for just giving me that freedom to kind of go with it. But, but it was, I guess, because on paper it just, it was a, an incredible story. You know, it captured people. When I kind of gave the elevator pitch, people were interested. You know. So, how did you first come across the story? Was it just something you read in a book or a newspaper? No, it was. It was every it, it, for for one very brief moment. It was a story across every newspaper, and that I later learned was it was when uh, the suspect at the heart of, of Paradise was arrested, and um, because in the US, you know, they do things slightly differently to here, um, the prosecutors over there just published a whole dossier of evidence which um they'd used to to get the the arrest warrant basically um that was all made public so the newspapers just hoovered it up and it was like it was the whole more or less the prosecution's case uh 28 pages of it with photographs and you know for newspapers this was a dream and it was you know such an incredible story so i just saw it in every newspaper and i was like this is this is astounding and it was the fact that um so a guy had been arrested 28, uh, 38 years after the the murders, uh, he'd been arrested in California. The victims were from Manchester. They'd been killed in Guatemala, uh, having got on this guy's boat in Belize. And and then the kind of the sort of cherry on the cake was 
that the the witnesses, the prosecution witnesses, were the suspect's sons, and they were saying, he, you know, these two, well, they were boys when it happened. Um, they were, we were men by this stage. Was saying, yeah, it it just happened in front of us. So I was like, I need to speak to these people, and I just had so many questions. I was like, well, how did that happen? And like this, does, it it made no sense, you know, because well, murder doesn't, you know, <laughs> you're kind of trying to look for rhyme and reason, but. I just had so many questions. I mean, there's a bit, for me listening to it, there's a few parts in it where I go, like, what are you in this? Because there's a little yeah. bit of a journalist. There's a little bit of crossing from a de investigative journalist to a police detective almost. There's things that you stumble across that the police never found. Yeah. Yeah. And then also there's bits where you're almost having to be like a psychologist or a counselor and then all 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 in it's a bit like being in indiana jones i've i've had it before because it, like i started off just trying to tell the story so we you know as i say it'd been in all the newspapers because they had this whole dossier from uh from the prosecutors but that's there's not an easy way of putting that on radio or podcast you know you can't just the printed word so i needed to go out and speak to these people and no one else had mainly because none of them were talking it was just sheer persistence that eventually uh, uh one of the sons spoke to me and it kind of went from there um but i've had this before where although you're the journalist you're the one person in the middle who by the by the end has spoken to everyone no one else has even the FBI or the police or the family no one's actually spoken to everyone and has a link to everyone you're in this very uh strange but privileged position um and yeah it makes you part of the story in the end you know you you don't not really trying to be but you you are you know <laughs> I'm more curious as to how the whole thing affected you because mm. I think I think it's the first episode starts with looking at teeth that they found and i mean it's it's quite it's not an easy listen as no. as, as a listener coming into it and I, every episode pretty much starts with what you kind of used to having on a cinema at the start of a mm. film saying this has got graphic images but you you're really talking about graphic imagery and the what we're talking about is the death of two people to begin with and, and then others that, that get drawn into it i was kind of surprised myself in a way because I don't know, you like to think of yourself as quite like a thick-skinned journalist, you know, and you're slightly dispassionate and all this kind of thing. I think with a podcast, you, you give a lot more of yourself in the end. Um, it wasn't so much like the details and all that. You, I think that you can become numb to, not not sort of what, you know, what they mean, but, you know, you're, not, you're no longer shocked each time you hear something. There, although there was one point where uh, Vince, the... Uh, it was the the son of the suspect who we first spoke to um, when we were in Belize with him. So this was several months down the line, and he made some new revelations, and they were shocking. And I was kind of I was shocked that I was shocked because I'd heard so much that it was like to be shocked at that point. Kind of, you know, they had to be pretty <laughs> pretty high level. Um, but the emotion was more. I found myself getting angry on behalf of the victims and it sounds odd you'd think as journalists we're, we're like that all the time but because it's like you do a story you move on to the next story you're doing a story you can't get so passionately involved you know I, I really you try to but 
this was very much, you know, I was angry on behalf of Chris and Peter, the, the two victims. Um, and that, yeah, that, you know, it was 12 months of, of carrying that and kind of, you know, uh, which is nothing compared to what the families had endured. You know, it had been 40 years for them. You know. But there is a moment where... And, and I've kind of put a bit of a spoiler alert at the start. Yeah. Anyway. So, we've done, yeah, we've, we've done our own spoilers, so um, yeah, don't worry. I think it's, is it episode nine where you discover the graves? Yeah, yeah. And your reaction is as powerful as anybody else's. It's that it's almost like there's an emotional relief yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because I'm with um, uh, Penny Farmer, who is the sister of one of the victims. She's the sister of Chris. And... She is not emotional, and uh, you know she's just not. And, and uh, you know, if I was, if this was a kind of a classic sort of uh, journalism piece, you'd want the tears, you'd want the, you know, the pauses and the catching of breath and all that kind. Of, but Penny wasn't that, and it, you know, it didn't matter. Um, there was only one moment where her emotion kind of cracked, which was actually right at the end of the podcast we were doing our final interview. Um, but throughout, she was very, very stable emotionally didn't really didn't show emotion um even at the point where we found her brother's grave and and the point was that we had been told by everyone that they weren't there um the fbi had searched for them several times over you know months and had told the families that the graves were lost you know so we went there it was kind of a roller coaster of expectation i mean the reason we went out there is because we thought we would be able to find them or had a chance that hope was sort of dashed and then finally we, we did. So for me, it was extraordinary emotionally because not only would, you know, I'd managed, I think as a journalist, you, you, it's, you don't often get such a tangible result, you know, as even if you've kind of, uh, I think I did something on, on energy drinks and the health committee kind of looked into it and, and it led to a lot of supermarkets banning them for under, uh, uh, under 60s and things like this. And it's like, well, I played a part in that. You know, I can't say it was all me or anything like that. I can, but this, I could genuinely say, if I hadn't done this, we would not be stood here in front of these graves. We wouldn't have found them. And that was, that was quite overwhelming. It was overwhelming that we, you know, Penny was there and, and at her brother's grave that I was able to telephone um, the, the brother of, of Peter, the other victim and say, we have found them. It, yeah, that was an incredible, I just, we, the trip we were out in Guatemala and we had another few days and we did carry on we tried to do things that we planned to do and all this kind of thing but I think I said in the podcast it was just a haze because that was we you know <laughs> the plan was to go to the cemetery and you know record us not quite finding them <laughs> so <laughs> to find them it was yeah it was a bit of a kind of a sideswipe. but it also established that the bodies recovered were Chris and Peter which made it even more important for us to find their graves in Puerto Barrios. That's where Penny and I would be going next. But before that, we wanted to go to the place Peter and Chris were last seen alive. So that, that cemetery search is Foley, effectively. Is, is what, sorry? It's like that's been um, a lot of the, 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 the sounds going on there are, are added in afterwards. Obviously, there's the music that builds up to the... It's the, the music. So... Yeah. Essentially, that's the way that the cemetery search was recorded. Um, it was uh, I had a lav mic on uh, connected to a small recorder, 
And I wondered because when she finds it, it sounds like you're right next to her, but then you're like, where, where, where? And it sounds like well, it's right. so, so what <laughs> okay. we, so actually on that, so, um, so I've got a lav mic on, Penny's got a lav mic on. So a lot of the time, uh, when we're together, you're hearing both lav mics and it's, you know, so we're both in, in quality. Uh, but there are times when uh, it's Penny has gone off uh, with the fixer, Ingrid, and they're chatting and I'm off somewhere else. And then it'll kind of switch to me. I'm somewhere else. But the actual shout from Penny when she finds it, um, I mean, it's it's loud. <laughs> so it might, you might not be able to tell, but that's on my mic. Right. Uh, because we wanted that sense of distance um, for her shout. And then I run over um, and then we're together. So yeah, using the using the two mics, but uh, it was more, it was the emotion of that scene. So the music, the way it builds, it's kind of, you can see our hope sort of draining away. And then it's just a pause, mm. the shout. Here, found Chris. You're joking. Fucking hell. He's there. He's here. Oh my God. And it's a new, tone to everything um and yeah it just sounded you know it just sounded great the way he, he did it so many people have commented on the emotion of that scene you know they couldn't get in the car or they were in tears because i can you know. I, I don't think you actually say it but i can hear you embracing yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah yeah well that's it we're wearing lav mics so you hear the kind of the muffled you know and you i, I you know i guess some people i don't know maybe some people would cut that out but of course you want that in because you can, t as you say, you can tell we're embracing because we've got this very muffled, you know, sort of uh, words as, as we do it. And because it was it, it was such a human moment, you know, it's just to have found them uh, after all these months. You and, know. and this is something like you say that the FBI hadn't been able to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Several attempts. And yeah. so it, be it begs the question of whether or not they actually tried. You know, there's a great moment in uh, Crypto Queen um, where I think there's a private detective speaking to, to Jamie, who's uh, the, the presenter there. Uh, and Jamie's sort of saying something like, you know, well, wouldn't the FBI have done it? And, and he says, look, <laughs> don't underestimate, you know, the FBI, this is just another job. You know, this is just another thing on their desk. You are a journalist. You are like a dog with a bone on this no one else is going to be as determined and it's really true you know you think of law enforcement as you know they have they've got all the tools but what they don't have is necessarily the the just the sheer determination and resolve and the kind of constantly thinking about it because they go home at night and they don't think about it you know well i'm sure some do i know you know i know some do but on the whole you know, it's their job so if it if they don't succeed first time or second time, are they really going to try the third time? Are they going to try and think up any which way they can do it? You know, it, the determination isn't always there because there's another job that needs their attention. You know, there's something else. Whereas this was my only job. It was my only focus. So I was trying also, you know, and, and the things that succeed, what you don't see is the kind of, just the dozens of blind alleys you've gone down before that point, you know, and you try and show that to some extent in a, in a, when you're doing a podcast. But yeah, you, you know, people would be bored to tears if, with all the kind of just blind alleys we went down with, you know, with some of the things. So it's, yeah, it's the determination, really. It's the de From a production point of view, just because you mentioned recording, mm. you must have had hours and hours and hours and hours of audio yeah. that you'd recorded. Yeah. Plus there's other audio that comes in. There's even, you managed to find um, stock recording from the archives 
of when um, the parents have been on TV and an appeal. Yeah. And then one of the parents was a journalist as well and had his own reel-to-reel set up at home as well. So I'm just thinking, how much did you actually record? How much did you listen to? And then how do you go about taking all that and, and mm. putting it into like- I, I mean, I can't tell you how many hours you recorded. I mean, hours and hours. And even now it's like, there's bits where suddenly I'm kind of like, oh, we had a we had the perfect clip that could have gone in there. And I'm like, you know, and in a sense it doesn't matter, but you know, there's, there's tons that isn't in that podcast that we've recorded. Um, it was, I kind of had to learn as I go along. I've never done a, a project or anything like this. So um, I was, I used to, my main, t- my main tip uh, was every, every interviewee, everyone we recorded was in a, a separate folder. We, we saved everything in the cloud, but you know, this would work just as well for a hard drive. And every file, uh, every recording was labeled with the date in reverse order, which is important because okay. quite often, I can't be the only one who does this. You put new batteries in your recorder and it's suddenly, according to your recorder, it's 2000 midnight, you know, <laughs> first of the first. And so the timestamp on your recordings can be way out. Um, now, most of the time I, I remember to set the date or whatever, but it happens. So I always change the file name to the date in reverse order so that when you order it by name, it will always be in, in the right date order. I'm making a mental note now because I literally changed the batteries before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's, this stuff is important. So um, so that's one way to really quickly find the order. If you know you spoke to someone on that date, you can just put in the date. And then I put who it is, um, whether we have permission to record. Um, sometimes I'm recording just for notes or something like that. Right. Uh, and then keywords. So I ended up with these ginormous file names, which looked totally unwieldy and everything. But if you then use the search bar, you can quickly find any conversation, any recording that refers to something or, you know, and it was, that was, uh, it, it looks messy, but it was brilliant in I terms mean, of finding audio. It sounds amazing. Cause I've, mine's folders are just folders. Of- Full of final, final. Use this one. Yeah, edit, yeah. And like two versions, just a load three. of numbers that yeah. actually mean anything. Yeah. So renaming files. That's uh, with keywords. That's and the date reverse order uh, is a is a very good tip. Um, and then we transcribed a lot. I mean, the, we used um, so there's free transcription services. You know, so things like Otter, which are really they're useful. They're far from perfect, but again, if you roughly know a bit. You know, you've got those keywords and you're like, okay, well, I need to find the bit where they're talking about that. Otter will, you can probably find it in Otter by searching your transcript that you've done in Otter, which is automatic transcription. But then for key interviews, the really important ones, we got them properly transcribed. And that is a lifesaver because most of the editing was done on paper. Uh, So we had the paper transcripts and I would be highlighting the bits I wanted and then giving those time codes to to the guys who were actually editing it, putting it together. So they would have the file and they could, I think I was, we, we did a paper to highlight the bits we wanted. And then I would mark them up in um, in audition and just send them the, uh, the markers. So they could straight away just lift those markers, stick them on their timeline. And they had rough cut all the audio they needed for that episode. Um, so we we kind of got into quite a good process by the end um, of because that was the other thing we were working on it as it was going out you know 
things were changing, new information yeah. was coming in. So I mean, it, as early as the, is it the second episode, or third episode, there's, there's a big change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was stuff like that happening all the time. So we couldn't do loads of stuff in advance because it was still, you know, it was still changing. Uh, so that was, that was a bit hairy. So how many people did you have working on it? Because I mean, I, I kind of would have completely believed you if you said it was just you when you didn't sleep for a year. It, I mean, for a lot of the time it was, yeah. I mean, it was so for a lot of the time it was me, um, Stephen Nolan, uh, although Stephen, you know, is like just about the busiest man in broadcasting. So I couldn't really lean on him for great. I could, I could call him to kind of chew the fat or kind of discuss ideas. Um, and, you know, he, his sort of gravitas when it came to some of the interviews was just like key, you know, he was, he was great to kind of just wheel in and, you know, um, but in terms of the research and working on it, it was pretty much me. I remember there was a point, uh, a couple of months before the first episode was going out and it's like the cavalry came over the hill because suddenly all the digital guys came in and the marketing people and all this sort of thing. And it was like big round table and it just felt bizarre because I'd for 10 months, I'd pretty much been plowing this very lonely furrow and suddenly, you know, this uh, might of the BBC was there. Um, Does it still feel like yours though? Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I can I can kind of say on this one, it, it, it definitely does. And which is not to say that there was, I mean, there's really key people who put so much into it. Um, so um, Rory Asprey was the, the kind of, uh, he was the main guy doing the editing. A lot of the kind of the sound of Paradise is, is down to him. And um, because it became such a long project, uh, kind of midway through, uh, he was going off to do other stuff. So Jack Laycock came in and it's kind of testament to him that it, it was seamless uh, in that respect. But Jack is responsible for the sound uh, of the cemetery search. So, you know, that was, he definitely put his stamp on it with that. Um, but then, you know, we had- uh, And the, the logistics of it all, just like all the flights and the the different people that are involved. And then at one stage, uh, you're on the phone to the public defender, you're in Manchester, Stephen's in, Stephen's in Belfast. Yeah. She's in. Uh, uh, so they're in Sacramento. Sacramento. Yeah. And, and so th that in itself, that's pretty common these days because there's tools and technology. So that itself is, isn't the crazy mm. thing. The crazy thing is the fact that one episode you're in Oxford, then you're in Kent, then you're in uh, Belize. The, you're, you're, <laughs> like, there was a lot of trouble. I mean, it was spread over a long time. I mean, the bit that was crazy was, was Belize and Guatemala. Um, I mean, that started off as I was going to go to Belize and then Penny, uh, which is the, the sister of one of the victims, kind of said, well, I'd quite like to come. So then it was sort of, well, can we do that? And then I, uh, Vince and Penny were, were kind of, um, they they were sort of that, equal this is a players. Weird dynamic yeah, well. yeah. So to explain, so we've got, uh, there's me, um, there's Vince, who is the first person I managed to speak to. He is the son of Silas Dwayne Boston, the suspect. Uh, Vince was 13 at the at the time uh, Chris and Peter were murdered. And uh, he was telling us, you know, that first interview, he witnessed his dad do it. Um, so, but at the same time, we have uh, Penny Farmer, who is sister of one of the victims, who was kind of instrumental in getting the case reopened after so long, um, who we had also tried to make contact with when we reached out to Vince. But for various reasons, mainly because she was writing a book and had a publicist, and it always gets complicated when you have a publicist involved. Um, 
we weren't able to speak to till several months in. So we'd sort of built up a relationship with Vince. Then we built up a very close relationship with Penny. But, you know, they weren't necessarily, I mean, they had some limited contact, you know. Um, but the first time they met was when we flew them, uh, well, when we, we went out to Belize and they, they joined us there. But, I mean, the logistics of doing that was crazy. I mean, we did, I don't really say this on the podcast, but two weeks before we went, uh, Vince told us he didn't have a passport. You know? <laughs> so um, that was interesting, you know. It's just stuff like that. And you're like, oh, my God. So you think you're there. You know, you think you've got everything. And then, I mean, we managed to resolve it. But um, that was hairy. Uh, and the actual... Logistics on the ground. I mean, thank God we had some brilliant fixers um, in Belize and Guatemala, um, uh, who you know were a, a massive help. But the, just the logistics of getting myself, Vince, and Penny to Belize and to Guatemala, and I, mean, I think there's a scene where we we'd hired a boat to go out to quite a remote island, and then we wanted to cross into Guatemala, but the boat was Belizean, and they couldn't. And we'd spent the day before like going around to all these officials and all this kind of thing. And we would have been able to do it. But for Vince's passport, that was, that was again, the problem we couldn't cross into. He could get into Belize, but not into Guatemala. And it was like, <laughs> so uh, there was always, you know, there was things sent to try us along the way, you know, but we kind of made it <laughs> in the end. And the, the, I just referenced to it, but I'm not sure how I've got this. Also. Um, what I really liked as well is the fact that your, as you said, it was unfolding as you did it, as you went along. Uh, you were, obviously I'm not exactly sure which bits were done when, but some bits were previously recorded. And then as the episodes went out, mm. stuff was happening. And it got to the point where the sus there's a suspect, because obviously the, the difference is, is you can actually do a program like this because it's the way American law operates. We couldn't do yeah, this about yeah. a British case. Well, we, I mean, the advantage was the main suspect had died. <laughs> so that kind of helped us out. Uh, but you're right. I mean, American justice is just completely different to, to British justice. Um, but even in the US, you know, there's weird things that get in the way. So um, part of the story is the fact that um, we we think that uh, Vince's father or you know murdered his mother. 10 years before Chris and Peter were murdered. Um, so his wife, Vince's mother. Um, we can't really get into that case because the, in the US, they still consider it a missing persons case. It's still an open case. So ordinarily, if that was a, if it had been a murder case, the files would have been closed long ago. We could have accessed everything. But it's because it's an open case, we, we just can't get into them. And, and that's, you know, that's a real regret. It was something we really wanted to, you know, help Vince with. Uh, because he doesn't know where his mother's buried. Because there's that line where he reports his father saying, I've buried her somewhere that will never find her in a yeah, million years. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, we, we were speaking to the guys um, who led the Ben Needham search. Um, there's amazing expertise in the UK, like world leading expertise, um, mainly due to things uh, like the troubles in Northern Ireland and the Moors murders. It's just we have the experts are all here in the UK. Um, and uh, a lot of the the top guys were, were willing to help look at those police files and see you know, forensic psychologists to go through them, see what we could see, uh, look at aerial photography to, in likely sites to see if there was anything that, that might give away a body and things like that. We could hone down. The, the, the hope was we would be able to hone down to a small enough area that um, we could 
you know, start probing the ground and kind of doing the, the, the geophys as they do always the, on the old archaeology program. But um, uh, yeah, be, that was the block on that. We couldn't get into those police files. Um, so that's a kind of a, a whole area of the podcast that we, we just haven't been able to, uh, to get on, which has been a frustration. And then you end up talking to the public defender yeah. who's a big fan of the show, which that is was a, bit a weird moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, I mean, this was the other thing. Because of the way the story had broken, like, you know, basically the prosecution just handing newspapers on a plate, the whole story or so they thought, um, no, one had gone, no one had done the usual thing, which is, okay, let's speak to Boston's lawyer. You know, at the point the story broke, um, Silas Dwayne Boston, the suspect, was still alive. He was, you know, he was in prison. He was awaiting trial for these murders. Ordinarily, you would speak to his lawyer. You know, he's he's putting up a defence. So what 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 is it? Uh, no one had. So, but we found this throughout the whole story. It was like even the kind of the low lying fruit. When we were speaking to people, they hadn't spoken to anyone before. Um, but yeah, the public defender was extraordinary because. She turns everything on its head. You get this, what appears to be this sort of, you know, open and shut case. It's like, well, obviously he's guilty. Uh, but hey, he has got the Fed, so what is it? And when we speak to her, that's like, uh, I, I, I mean, I can remember, <laughs> like, you know, my, my kind of whole idea of the case being flipped on its head in my first conversation with her. So we tried to convey that on the podcast, you know, that kind of, oh my God, right, there is a, whole different way of looking at this case you know um and that was her skill as a public defender you know she was i think we say you know if we were ever in trouble <laughs> we, we know who we'd call you know um because here was someone who was defending to the hilt you know someone who everybody else i mean everybody else was you know saying was just this serial killer this terrible guy you know everything he'd done his own sons were going to be the you know main witnesses against him so the the fight that she fought was incredible and that that must be weird for you because you i kind of get the feeling that you know the case better than anybody after this by now yeah yeah, yeah. um it, uh, but at the time i we first spoke to her you know we didn't um and that was that was why it became the podcast it became because as i think as i've said uh, I'll do a pick up there. Uh, that was that was why it became the podcast that it became because I think as um, we said, we just set out to tell what seemed like a remarkable story, more or less the story that had been in all the newspapers, but in a podcast form. And it was when we spoke to her, we thought, well, we can't just tell the story and then go, oh, by the way, here's the public defender with a very plausible defence. Uh, but anyway, we'll just ignore that and carry on. You know, it, it, we were like, okay, well, we're actually just going to have to dig here and try and substantiate some of what the prosecution is saying or you know knock down what the defense is saying or vice versa you know we were we came away from meeting that public defender um and i think it's it's on the podcast Stephen uh nolan you know my co-presenter is basically saying are you sure you haven't got you know you haven't been believing everyone too much you know like he was basically saying to me you're too invested in this you yeah know, you've not been able to you've not tried to balance here, you know. Um, uh, and to an extent, it was good, it's good to have that other perspective and someone saying, hold on, you know, let's let's look at all of this again. And, you know, I mean, I was, <laughs> we then did, you know, we spent a hell of a lot of time uh, 
proving one way or another to our satisfaction anyway uh what we think happened and and that's odd kind of having what seems to be such a an open and shut case throwing it all into doubt and then trying to reassemble the pieces in a way that you feel confident that's not how most podcasts work <laughs> normally it's uh you know uh i don't know someone's been jailed and you're you know you're trying to free them or whatever but this this was someone who everyone was saying had done it and we were the ones sort of trying to throw the pieces in the air and and either you know say yeah he did or no he didn't and did people know that's kind of the angle you were coming from because i imagine that some people would have been resistant to that it was i mean we warned uh especially vince because essentially it's his you know he's the first person we hear in the podcast and in terms of a full account his is the first that we get the full account of you know he's he's the son of the suspect he's saying it all happened in front of him so to then go to the public defender and hear her side of things and explore them, you know, try and substantiate them or knock them down, we were essentially saying to Vince, we don't necessarily believe you. Um, and that was hard for him to have to go, you know, sort of things get settled <laughs> later on um, to sort of greater and less extents for, for different people. But he had to endure that. He had to... You know, because the podcast didn't all drop at once, they were coming out week by week. It was several weeks before we could say whether we were substantiating what he said or weren't, you know. Um, so that was difficult for him, I think. And was it always going to be 10 or 11 episodes? Or no. Was that <laughs> <laughs> no, it was going to be nine. Um, and then I think we got to a point where we're like, there's, there's going to be too much in uh, this particular episode. We're going to have to split this. And I didn't really want to do like, you know, I can't remember which episode it was, but episode eight, part one, episode eight, part two, you know, it, it was just like, right, well, let's just make it 10 episodes. Um, but then more, a lot more information came in. We had a whole uh, two massive envelopes of files arrive midway through the podcast. And it took a bit of digesting and all that, but, you know, once we had, we kind of realized that it was, it changed things again. And we were going to have to add another episode, you know. Were they anonymous tip-offs? They... No, that was an FOI. It had just taken 11 months to come back. Wow. So that was um, the Foreign Office files. Um, so we got hundreds of pages, but it had taken 11 months. Um, and what was interesting about those files was the Greater Manchester Police, which was the police force here that had been investigating everything, um, their cold case unit, when they reopened the case, had asked the Foreign Office for those files, and they'd been refused. Um, and yet here we were as journalists, you know, it took 11 months, but we got them. And what we found in them was things that were vital to the case. And, you know, it meant that they wouldn't have been, had the trial gone ahead, you know, they'd have been missing all this vital stuff. Um, so that was a bit of a shocker. And, and there's, you know, there's been investigated. I mean, uh, what's not been updated on the podcast is the fact that there have, you know, the, uh, been home office and foreign office investigations now as to what went wrong with this case. Um, and there has, there have been some answers, some things that add to the case that we're hoping to put into a, into a new episode, um, which isn't easy when you're doing another podcast now. But you know, there's still more to update on. Yeah, uh, it's the story's still moving. Which is Does that mean there'll be a, a season two or a bonus episodes that will drop? You know what? I mean, there are. There's enough for a season two. You know, uh, so part of the, as I say, there's the whole. Uh, aspect of um, 
Vince's mother and and her disappearance, uh, although we're pretty confident it's a murder. Um, there's two other victims that we don't really get to the bottom of whether they are, whether this other couple was killed or not. The Vikings. Um, there's a lot, you know. There's a lot more to explore there. Um, and also, there's so many strange things that happened in this investigation. It got closed down in '81, but the families weren't told. Um, there was numerous occasions when it should have, you know, the information came through to to the police here, and it wasn't reopened. And it's like, why files weren't missing? So there's a lot to explore there. Um, and also, there's just we don't really touch on it in the podcast, but it was a fascinating time. This 1978, when the murders happened in that whole region um the countries that boston was visiting um some very interesting things were going on there um and i think on our final episode we kind of try and raise some questions some suspicions um that i would like to explore if i could so there's a whole second season there but you know it's it's these are expensive things you know so I think I'm going to have to contend myself with updates, you know, here and there. I'm still, I still keep the pot boiling, you know. I still speak to everyone. There's still people I'm chasing, um, and hopefully they will be updates as we go on. It'll just, it won't be that. Obviously, this was a BBC production, mm. uh, and the scale of it, I don't think you could have done it without them. Yeah, um, but there's a lot of people out there that don't have that support. Is there anything that from this experience that you could say that you, you wouldn't need the BBC for, you wouldn't need the budget for? What What is the key thing? I mean, the, the expensive thing uh, is time and travel. Um, you know, recording equipment, you know, it, it can be as expensive or inexpensive as you like. And again, you know, editing suites and all that kind of, it can be a, your laptop or it can be a, you know, but what's expensive is time um and travel well travel there was a lot in this podcast but that it doesn't have to be that way you know uh, if it's a if it's something you're investigating close to you um and I, and I mean that in all senses personally but also just geographically um you've already cut out an enormous amount of expense now the other one time to a big player like the bbc time is expensive but if you're a one man band or one, one woman band or, you know, or it's uh, a, a, a group of you, time is just whatever you can spare, you know. Um, so if it's something you can fit around the day job, then and it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't have to come out next month. It doesn't have to come out next year. It doesn't have to come out this decade. You know, you can keep going at something for as long as it takes, chipping away, you know. Um, in your free time and it's literally that it's free you know so um if you make this your passion project then you know you can you can devote that time and then you know a lot of the a lot of the stuff that yields results costs nothing it costs nothing to make a freedom of information request you know it costs nothing to pick up the phone to someone to see if they'll talk to you um you know it costs barely anything to to drive around to someone's house and and you know knock on their door uh it costs nothing to go into the the reference libraries, you know, and, and dig away and go through newspaper archives and all those kind of things. You know, these are all time intensive things. But if you've got the drive to do it, you don't need a big budget. You can just you just do it, you know. And 
yes, the BBC enabled me to do this in the time frame because it was my job. So, you know, I didn't have to worry about fitting it around something else. And I had that travel support um, and, and fixers and things like this. But, you know, there's ways of doing this yourself, definitely. So that whole thing to me sounds like a dream, having mm. the, the support of the, of the BBC and the, the budget and the ability to go, we need to go to Guatemala and then yeah. to, to support you. But at the same time, I imagine there was a lot of pressure that came with it. Um, it's funny, actually. I didn't, I think um, I'm feeling it more now. I'm, I'm embarking on another podcast, and this podcast has been uh, basically paradise sort of just happened by accident in that I'd, I, I knew of the story, I'd kind of floated it around, and it had been like, but no one's talking. And then someone, I, I did, and I was able to just play John O'Rourke as the controller. Um, I, I did a sort of a trailer based on the first interview I did, and I played him that, and it was like, right, okay, when do you start? It was, it, there was no proper commissioning process in that sense because there wasn't a podcast at that stage. It was like, okay, what do you want to do with this? It was like, well, I need to go out to the States and interview these people who said, okay, go, take Stephen Nolan with you. You can either do it for Stephen Nolan's show or if you find you come back and you do have something, let's talk about making it into a podcast. And it just sort of evolved and it kept evolving. And, you know, gradually, uh, you know, things were okay. Then it, so there was no pressure in that sense. Whereas... This time around, uh, it's a proper commission. You know, we've put forward a, a budget and a plan and it's okay, we've got the green light and and we have to deliver by a certain date. And yeah, so the pressure's on now for this one. Paradise was great. It was just, it just kept evolving. You know, no, there was no expectation. There was no, it was just, you know, they could see what was, what we were turning up as we went along. So the results kind of spoke for themselves. But uh, yeah, this one's, this one's a bit more high pressure in that respect. Are you allowed to tell us anything about the new one? I, I don't know how much I can say, but I mean, I can I can be cryptic, and uh, <laughs> but it's it, it's not a um, a murder uh, mystery in in the sense that Paradise was, but it is there are similarities in that it is a transatlantic uh, investigation. Um, so you know, once again, it's it's uh, involved in the US and it's involved, but it is very much involved in the UK as well. Um, which I like. I mean, it's. I think it's good to have that sort of transatlantic spread, just because America is just far more fascinating um, and glamorous. And as soon as you have Americans on your podcast, there's like they're they sound. You know, everyone is media trained over there. Um, but it's good to have the roots here as well. You know, it's very much a, a story that's that's rooted here. Um, so it'll be coming out in May and. Uh, again, it's a story that's been told, but there's more to it, and we're going to be digging to to find out what that is. And do you see that as your future, personally, because you're a journalist and a producer, a radio producer, yeah, yeah, and now a podcast presenter and maker? Yeah, I mean, this it just suits me down to the ground, which is one, you know, focusing on one thing, like truly, <laughs> just really, you know hyper focusing and you know really getting into it um i uh, I, I think i could probably kind of uh cope well with two things either just like breaking news it's happening it's flying at you you deal with it you know um or this sort of thing where you just you are up to your neck and you know you, it's your soul concentration you know it's what you think the harder the much harder thing is uh is producing news programs day after day after day where you're having to set stuff up and you know 
your, your mind's on loads of different stories. That's a lot harder. That's that's <laughs> that's the really impressive stuff when people are making entertaining daily news programs. Um, breaking news is a piece of cake, and uh, and in a sense, podcasts are if you can tell a story and you don't mind, you know, throwing yourself at something, then it's just you just keep digging and digging and digging and arranging it in a in an order that other people can understand and, and listen to and, and there you go you'll get there it's just you it's just a case of persistence basically um that's it anything else you want to say no i keep listening to podcasts they're great including this <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode and the behind the scenes look into paradise you can check out dan's latest podcast which is called on the ground it investigates one of the most infamous friendly fire incidents of the Iraq war, and I highly recommend giving it a listen if you haven't done so yet. I would also like to congratulate Dan on his Gold Award at the British Podcast Awards, where he won Best True Crime for Paradise. This episode of Pods Up was produced by Xander Broadley. If you'd like to produce an episode on your favourite podcast, then send us an email. Just send it to podsuppodcast at gmail.com telling us the name of the podcast that you'd like to talk about and give a brief description of your idea. To keep up to date with all of our episodes, hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app of choice and you can also find us on Twitter. We're at podsuppodcast.com.